There we go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Growth Show. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, joined with Tom Pickering and David Barkley. Uh, today, we are exploring fear and everything that encompasses it in a business sense. Uh, so, Tom, first, what what is fear in your eyes? Yeah, uh, the good news is, Nick, I think it's unreal. Um, so <laughs> that's quite a reassuring starting place. Um, so what do I mean by that? That said, there's, there are reasons to be fearful as well. I'll just try and explain what I mean. So I think one of the common themes that's coming out of this is that there's a guy called Socrates who said that the more I know, I think the more I realise I know nothing, which I think summarises the COVID situation at the moment. So in theory, that, that, you know, that, that thought of not, not knowing what to do could be quite fearful. That said, um, it's a perception, but it's not a reality. Um, and so that's the funny thing about it. Um, and we've got a choice to avoid it um, and or reject it. I think the the challenge with it is, well, first of all, what, what does sort of good look like? You know, what's the antithesis to fear? I think what good looks like is like a, a set of intimate relationships within a team that are adjusting, testing, adjusting, communicating very closely to, to hit the target um, and playing music that people want to hear um, as opposed to the, the old tune, whatever that was. Um, so that's a very sort of free and yet it's coordinated. It's, it's very, it's very um, you know, guided as well in a very natural sort of way. I think on the flip side, what does bad look like? Um, I think when, when, when people do become fearful, they do actually um, or choose to be fearful. Um, it, it switches off thinking. Um, and that puts us into a mode called um, fight or flight, which people have probably heard of before. Um, and what happens then is a bit worrying um, that people start making statements like you don't understand me and talking communi communication drops off um, and people become very responsive to negative things, which right. is a bit worrying. And they sort of get a life of its own and then analysis then um, suffers, um, which creates this sort of self-fueling situation. Um, and in that situation, people and organisations become very prone to distractions, um, negative distractions of all kinds of different types, some of which sound quite positive, but in fact are quite flawed. Um, and some of the antidotes to that in its simplest form is that is well, sort of to recognise what sort of creatures we are. We're, we're fairly primitive and there was a time on this earth when things used to eat us. And so if something wasn't like us, you know, um, in terms of, you know, shape or size, there's a good chance it might be a threat. Um, and so there's a real need from a practical perspective to develop rapport. I think as well, um, there's a common theme which I'm picking up, which is humour. Um, and humour actually, if you can, if you in particular, um, you know, without being flippant, you know, if there's somebody you disagree with, if you can get them to laugh, I think what that does is to level people's assumptions and creates quite a, quite a, um, a clean sheet of paper to start from and um, you know engage in relatively productive dialogue so I think that'd be my description of fear and um, what it what's what does good look like and what does not so good look like but the good news is I think actually it's uh, it's unreal so we have a choice perfect perfect I'll, I'll take unreal and David you must encounter this all the time with your your clients and your coaching have you yeah. got any way to sort of overcome fear yeah, absolutely. There's a good few strategies um, that we can employ and I'll share them. I think one of the things is Tom talks about fight, uh, flight or fight. 
And there's also a third one that we don't talk about, which is often freeze. Um, yeah, we've all had that situation where in the middle of the night you wake up, you hear like a sound in the flat or the house, and you think, oh my word, am I being burgled? Most people don't jump out of bed looking for a fight or try and jump out the window to escape. Most people just freeze in bed and hope that it isn't what they think it is. And I think that often happens in business as well, is that people just freeze. They don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. <laughs> um, fighting uh, or, you know, fight or flight requires some action. You're either going to run away from it, but at least you're running, you're creating some sort of movement that you can then channel into something more positive. But the freezing bit is a, is a, is a bigger worry. Um, one of my favourite quotes uh, around fear is from the great Steven Seagal. And if you're of a certain generation like those action films, this is a brilliant one. And I can't remember which film it is in, but the quote is, the anticipation of death is usually a lot worse than the actual thing. Um, and so much of the things that I witness and people getting fearful about are things that the percentage chance of it happening are very, very low. But the amount of time we spend worrying about it, and I include myself in this more than anybody else, is enormous. And that doesn't add anything. And so the two top tips um, that I give, and usually clients are doing the first one, is one just to talk about it with somebody. You know, a problem shared is, is, is actually often a problem, you know, halved. And find somebody, uh, a really good friend of mine said, in life, David, find people who've been in deep water in life. Find people who've gone through some crap, to put it bluntly, because they'll usually give you far better advice than people who've only propelled in the shallow end. Mm. So find people who've been in deep water and they'll usually give you some really good advice. And actually, a lot of the fear goes as you talk it through with somebody. That's a lot of what I do with my clients is we actually talk about it and get to the root of what people are, um, uh, are really worried about. Another great exercise, um, that if you're really bold, you can do this on your own, is set a timer for two minutes and focus on the worst case scenario for two minutes. And just focus on that. The brain finds it phenomenally uncomfortable. Usually after about 30 seconds, if you see people doing it, they're sort of fighting with their, sort of, you know, the face starts doing this as they're fighting to kind of really stay engaged with it. But after two minutes, your brain starts to actually rationalize it and actually goes, okay, with well, the worst case scenario is I lose my business. Okay, well, I can get a job and then I'll rebuild. Okay, that's not, you know, I'm not going to be living on the streets. And, and actually your brain starts to problem solve with it. The biggest problem is we spend so much time looking at all the things around the fear that we're worried about, but not the actual thing. And so just spend some time sitting um, with that fear and it will shift it. Oh, I think that's brilliant. I mean, brilliant. And Tom, you obviously come in in the turnaround industry, come into numerous businesses who will be fearful of you, I guess, from uh, not knowing who you are and what um, what's going to go on. How do you sort of counter those sort of fears in the early stages? Yeah, well, I, you know, humour. I think um, you know, I think it's very important to be approachable, Nick. So I think the, but it's it's also important, I think. Um, to acknowledge the environment as well. So um, I think in its simplest form, the easiest way to overcome fear is, is, is just to make yourself approachable, um, make time for people, um, put other people first, care about people um, and get your, it's, that's a sort of internal thing. I think though as well, in terms of what David said, I think it's absolutely critical to really understand what difficult situations look like. And I think, in these situations, people can become, David just said about you know, not taking action or the, 
I was talking really about the sort of the fear state. I think David's absolutely right about, and I, but the, the, it's the stasis that's deadly because um, that in itself can create a habit. So there's an environmental issue with that in terms of organisations, and people are waiting for things to happen. So, um, you know, and one of the themes we're picking up is expecting certainty when it's unlikely to happen. So you can wait as long as you like for that. Um, and so um, I think the other thing is that a lot of a lot of decisions have been planned in, in the good old days. I think a lot of businesses have done their budgeting processes and planned decisions. And actually now there's a real need to take action on a daily basis. And it's not the same old stuff. It's actually new action. Um, and one of the things we're picking up very strongly in our, our pub calls every week because we're checking this with all kinds of um, interesting people, including yourself, Nick, actually. We're, we're trying to make sense of this current, current environment where, um, you know, in terms of actually really what's going on. Um, but there's, and people really don't understand what new action is at all and actually what's stopping them from taking new action. So I think um, the more this goes on, the more entrenched it becomes. And I think from a practical perspective as well, people don't realise how important relationships are. So I don't know if you watched the Formula One, but there was an unusual number of breakdowns on the Formula One um, and reliability issues. And I don't think that's by chance because it's absolutely critical in terms of fixing problems that um, David talked about relationships and talking to people. I, I make that into sort of dynamic state. You know, we're always looking out for each other because mm. that's the way the human race is um, you know is, is frankly survived for such a long period of time i think the other danger of this is that in a in a in a fearful situation people could become overconfident um and actually enjoy the experience which is a bit worrying uh, and i picked this up in a turnaround situation where you've got people who sort of you know, like to hunker down and think this is great when in fact it's really not and i think people then start talking about pessimism versus optimism whereas as david said realism which is actually get into the facts and the, you know in, in terms of what you just described david i think it's about asking difficult questions and that's quite difficult so you know you're then faced with actually having to ask a question in a difficult situation which actually requires courage and so i'm normally the person that starts that process and makes that okay um i think um you know there's the other thing we ran a survey so there's another interesting thing which people don't know what to do and yet don't need any help which is an interesting one. Um, and they, people often don't recognise that they are fearful, um, yet some people reckon they know how to address it, which is a bit odd as well. So there's, there's a huge amount of sort of lack of awareness of, of ourselves, what drives us. Uh, one thing's for sure, though, in this current climate, um, whether we like it or not, that there is about three months to fix this, uh, because at the end of October, um, you know, this... Um, um, supported situation from the government is going to um, turn out uh, one way or the other and so and even the most experienced people who operate in my sort of environment in turnaround environment are investors are quite lucky because they don't have to they can invest when things actually fall into pieces and pick up the pieces which is a different world but people who are actually running businesses well investors have also got portfolios but um, it, within the portfolio, it's absolutely vital, you know, to prepare the organisation for whatever's coming up in October. And I'm still observing that two things. One is people don't understand what new action is. And secondly, they don't understand what's stopping them from taking new action. So that's um, two things which we're focusing on at the moment. Yeah. And David, I've always considered myself someone who's driven by fear, um, like the fear of actual failure, letting people yeah. down. 
Um, and I've always, I've always assumed people fall into one of two categories of, you know, people who are obsessed with sort of winning and people who sort of fear, fear of failing or letting people down. Is, is that, has that got any, any truth to it? Is there, is there one that's better than the other when, when it comes to a mindset? Um, is there one better than the other? Um, no. Um, because I, I, I go with what works. So I, I prefer to work with someone's natural flow. So if someone's more driven by the fear of failure, to get them to focus on a reward that they're not as motivated by is not going to get as good a result. Mm. So all of those things are really good if they're in a positive place. Um, it's something you know Tom's talked about a lot. It's just being on the edge of your comfort zone of not necessarily knowing the answers is a really good place to be because it usually brings out the best of people. And that's where growth happens. It doesn't happen when you're so out of your comfort zone, you're, you're crippled by, <laughs> almost paralyzed by fear. And it certainly doesn't happen when you're very, very comfortable. I think in terms of that kind of motive, how people are motivated, I think generally, give or take, about 40% of people are away from motivated. 40% of people are toward motivated. So carrot, stick, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then 20% sort of sit in the middle that are a bit of both. So you right. just need to know them. So in terms of your team, if you're driven by fear of failure, not everybody in your team is going to be. And so it's, in terms of managing the team, it's probably just understanding what people's motivators are. Are they, are they going to lose something or are they going to gain something? Um, and just understanding that, and completely understanding that in yourself. I think where people come into problems is when it you know, slips into that unhealthy place where you know, if you suddenly, um, and there's no reason why you would, but if you suddenly couldn't get out of bed because you were so crippled by that fear that you could you know, lose everything, that's in a really negative place. And that's not going to bring the best out of you or your team. And that's going to, um, you know, there's a thing called, I think, you know, called transference where people can sense it in people. Mm. And if you get on a conference call with all your, all your team, your team are going to pick up on it and that's going to affect their behavior. And it becomes like a dominant effect through a business that suddenly everyone's fearful of doing anything. And you're turning around going, but I've got great, great people. They should be able to cover me when I'm not on the top of my game. And it just spreads through. And so it's just, being self-aware enough um, to know when that's happening and reverse it quickly and don't jump on a call when, <laughs> when that's happening. Yeah, no, I think mean, it's a great point. I think from my personal standpoint, I have people around me who are completely driven by winning mm. and they can celebrate, you know, finding a penny on the floor. Like, and have a massive party about it. And I think mean, using that combination of people around me is really good. Like, because yeah. they'll be sat in the pub going, Best month ever, wasn't that amazing? That's great. And I'll be there secretly in my pint going, Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lives lives by another day. But I think yeah. having been conscious of that was a was a key part of my growth for understanding yeah. that pe people can pick up on that sort of vibe. Right. Yeah. You know, and sort of being open with them about that's what my focus is on and now we should enjoy ourselves. But also as a leader, learning to um pat yourself on the back every now and then was something that's taken me to years to sort of get around the fact that it's not for you it's for the people around you actually it's like your birthday people yeah. want to celebrate your birthday i might not want to celebrate it but actually most of the time it's not for me it's for the people around who love you and want to want to be involved yeah, yeah. um sorry very odd analogy uh, on no that. no but i think i think it's really right and it, it speaks exactly into that self-awareness and I think one of your great strength, strengths, Nick, and certainly having speak, spoken to a couple of members of your team, is your self-awareness and knowing what you're good at and knowing 
you know, what other people are really good at and getting them to do the bits that they're really good at and you doing the bits that you're really good at. That is, it, you know, it sounds so obvious in leadership, but it's done so little in my experience because people just don't have that self-awareness. They think, mm. oh, I can kind of cover things up and people don't really notice. People always notice, they just don't often tell you because you'll get very British about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what and happens, I, right? We've all had bosses like that. Yeah, and, and I think that leads on to the, the fear point a little bit more because mm. a lot of the senior leadership's management skill set has been taken away for this period of time. So, for example, you might be a leader who's amazing at hiring, right? Just an absolute inspirational hiring person. And now for the next three to six months, you ain't hiring, <laughs> Right, and you might have made a career on being able to attract the best talent in business, and now that that thing is switched off. And uh, I guess being brave enough to focus on your other skill sets and not feel you have to fill the vault, fill the hole, is going to be is going to be key right now. Um, Tom, do you have anything to echo around that, or have you seen anything similar to that? Yeah, I think winning is an interesting one. It's it, that's what I describe as being a mantra, and um, mm. so um, yeah, you know, as a leader, if you mention the word winning. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a question of the consequences of that. So I'm not the two types of. I'm not used to be really competitive on a bike when I'm 26. Really used to fly, um, and there weren't many people, to be honest, that could actually beat me up a hill. And I, I still got the same mentality, but I know very well now that people can beat me up a hill, and I still don't like it. <laughs> and I, sometimes I can chase them, but actually, you soon learn. Actually, there's always someone that can hit you harder. Uh, always and business it's the same thing so I think winning is an interesting one and it creates a dynamic as well which can be quite destructive internally but so it's a mantra I'm not saying it's right or wrong it's just about being a statement so that's an example of a statement and what the implications of that statement if leaders make those types of statements it's not to say it's wrong it's just because some people will be more it's but again coming back to that jazz band you need people of different types with different traits to work together I think if you um, you know and that, so I think um, there's a couple of things I, would, I think are better than actually, if you want to, well, if you put it another way, if you want to win, right, I think there are, thing, there are a few things you can do. So I think a lot of the paradigms are a bit are messed up at the moment and people don't particularly realise it. So the odd thing about winning is actually if you start putting other people first rather than yourself winning, you're in a really great place because then they start become self-fulfilling. Um, this mantra around growth is an absolute destroyer on a number of um fronts so growth in profitability i think it's a great thing but growth in growth in revenue and endless growth tends to trash businesses and it's far more about you know for example appreciating what you've got and focusing on your core business because one of the implications of this so-called winning tends to trash your core business if you're not careful you lose sight of what you've got um and this other thing around domination which i guess is one of the outputs of this so-called winning actually again tends to cause a lot of lot of difficulties and um so I think it's critical to be aware of these paradigms and what's said in organisations. Um, I think it's all about taking new action. So I think it's about having a new set of spectacles to see what's going on and test and adjust and get the best out of people. And also when someone says something different to you, rather than label them or, you know, with whatever the label might be, is actually to take a really active interest in what they're saying, uh, to acknowledge what they're saying, to appreciate the way they are, even if they are competitive <laughs> or so-called winners or whatever, acknowledge them the way they are. Really take time to understand them, um, and you know, take a perspective from where you'd like them to be, which is often the sort of perspective that leaders are. But actually, just to and that that's you know, totally transformational. So I think they're the odd things. I think that 
really actually create winning um whereas the mantras i think can be quite quite difficult um the challenge then is how do you stay on track so it's about keeping that team dynamic healthy so i think the first there's sort of three things i look at one is um the ability to see the target you know so what's the music you're playing how do you work together so you've got some winners you've got some people who are quieter you need them both you need that diversity you need to be able to say what you feel in your own way uh and then you, it's got to be continuous new action and you know and the challenge is in, in the context of fears what's stopping you from taking that action and it's a whole raft of silly stuff it's like making yourself look stupid you know fear of criticism uh lack of confidence and some cultures actually um like the public sector you know they actually can actively discourage it so one of the things we've completely avoided i've got a whole raft of stuff going at the moment but we're not going to touch the public sector because it's it's going to be such a drain on our resources that it's just yeah, it's not it's a it's a battle we're not going to fight um and within that i think as well there's uncertainty people are expecting uncertainty so beware of some of them the bear pits you now in terms of your budgeting process do you really expect to know and actually it's more around actually how are you going to test and adjust on a live basis and organize this jazz band to hit the target so i think that's what i'd say about winning <laughs> um it's an interesting one um it's more much more about relationships and profit i think that if you really want to get a business motion focus on relationships and profit then you're getting yeah no, no, no and, and, and finally david um bring it back to bring it back to fear um, some great points earlier on the two minutes and that you're know, actually trying to focus on it and realizing that you can't actually sustain that much of a force around it about sort of rationalizing it in there. Is there any, anything else you'd pass on to leaders right now about, about fear or using it in a positive, positive light or anything from a negative conversation? Yeah. Um, as always with these conversations, I always scribble down notes in between things. There's always things pop up. And one of the things that sort of came to me is, a lot of the time, fear is driven either by past experience. So, oh, I went through a sort of, uh, a, you know, a dip in the economy before and that's what happened. And, you know, that drives our behavior, mm. negative, positive, whatever it is. Or we're sort of, we become fearful of future events that haven't happened and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and often we live between those two places. And the problem is we then don't actually focus on the point between those two places, which is right now. The right now isn't, you know, driven or shouldn't be driven by what's happened before, you know, previously, because what's happened previously shouldn't have a particular bearing on what is going to happen in the future. Um, and likewise, what's going to happen in the future is driven by our actions now. Um, what's the great phrase? It's something like, you know, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Um, and I think that's a real thing is that we either most of the time, and myself included, we react from a past, you know, something that's happened in the past or something we're worried about that could happen in the future, but we don't focus on what we can actually do to change either of those perspectives right now. Um, and so I, I would just really encourage people to come back to, don't worry about what's happened in the past, what's past is past. You can change how you react to it. And don't worry about the future things that haven't happened yet, because you can, you have influence over that. And one of the things we test in the emotional intelligence profile is that personal power, the degree to which you, you have, um, see to, uh, the degree to which you have um, uh, input on your outcomes. Mm. And I think a lot of the time, you know, that's something I'd really work on people is personal power and emotional resilience. Those two things in, in dealing with fear are, are big. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. That's why I tried to des- describe it. I call what David just described fluidity, which is almost like you've got a completely blank mind. How do you get there? Uh, it's basically practicing, you know, being comfortable with your peers for a start, not fearful of your peers because has your boss got the courage to let you do what you need to do? Do you feel comfortable to take new action? Do you feel safe to take new action? That's what I've tried to articulate. So some of the mantras around winning can be quite at the antithesis of that. That's the reason why I made that point. I think the other thing is that we can't do these things ourselves. So a lot of education's around, yes, you can do it yourself. Actually, that's not that from my experience is, 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 um, you know, isn't reality. But I think the good news is, is that fear is a perception that's not real. Um, and we have a choice, Nick. So you've either, you can either be fearful or you can be excited and do something about it. That's your choice. The difficulty mm. at the moment is if you leave it too long, you do become fearful because what that does is it, um, in my simple uh, analytical perspective, is it decouples your actions and your beliefs and that, that creates stress and um, you then stop thinking, etc. So it's very important to feel part of that jazz band, play, play your tune, be appreciated for who you are, continuously taking your action, keeping the music script absolutely blank, which is exactly the way a jazz band is. Um, and, um, you know, there are lots of, organ- the antithesis of that, lots of organisations being very unaware of the mantras, maybe it's winning, maybe whatever it is that are driving them. And they're, they're, they're playing music that no one wants to hear anymore. Mm. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the problem, I think. And it's vital to break that cycle, the fear cycle, by taking new action. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of... Uh, one of my mentors when I was very young, who took every moment you could interpret as fear and just made it exciting. Yeah. And made me really conscious of the fact like this is going to be great, you know. Yeah. And um, and they came from a, a sporting background, and you see it with professional athletes, right? Yeah. I think one of the most insulting questions you can ask an athlete is, "Were you nervous before your 100 meters?" Uh, or whatever their event is, and they're like, no, that's literally their job. This is this is what they sort of live for on the biggest stage at yeah. that moment. Go bang, that we're off, we're running, it's fun. And I think that's, um, I mean, it's, I think it's really important for anyone who's developing juniors in a business of finding those moments that could be deemed fearful and actually making them exciting, like getting a new mindset in place for like, here's a, you know, here's a bit of public speaking, we have fun with it, we stand up, we can say some things, uh, and just program that in you know for the, for the challenge that constant challenge and getting people who want to seek out that challenge and that sort of that drug which is really actually sort of taking on new nervous scary experiences mm. um but, but guys again thank you so much for your time uh tom david um really good as always uh thanks everyone at home for uh all the subscribes all the likes all the passing on the stuff it's it's, it's awesome from you thank you thank you so much if you have a topic you want us to discuss, write in and we're, uh, we'll put it to the expert panel. Otherwise, uh, looking forward to the next one, guys. And uh, we will speak all very soon. All the best. Bye-bye.